0: more. Hola amigos y bienvenidos a mi podcast, We're Going There. It's National Hispanic Heritage Month y estoy bien emocionada de poder compartir con ustedes. Oh friend, it's about to go down in the words of Selena Quintanilla, bitty bitty bum bum. It's about time because we're going there. Hi friends, in light of National Hispanic Heritage Month, we are kicking off with a beautiful episode on the American dream, Mexican food and culture, and building a legacy. I'm your host, Bianca Wadis oltoff and I am so excited because as a self-professed chef, I had the honor of sitting down with the James Beard Award recipient, Bricia Lopez. Now, if you don't know this award or the names James Beard, it's all good. Think of it like an Emmy or a Grammy, but for cooking. Bricia is making waves as an entrepreneur and a restaurant owner, but I know her because I was gifted her cookbook from a wise and beautiful Korean woman who attends the father's house, Orange County. She handed me this big, thick book, And she said that she couldn't keep the book because as she read it, Brisia's story reminded her of me. I turned through the pages and I fell in love with the recipes and the cooking and I cannot wait to take my dad down to the restaurant in Los Angeles, California. In fact, I cried reading the opening because it reminded me so much of my dad's journey to America from Mexico. Food brings people together. And today, I hope you stick around to the end where I give my favorite recipe from her work in the book. Muchas gracias and I hope you enjoy. Uh Brisa, I just want to say thank you so very much for being on the show. I'm excited to get to have you. And I'm excited because I know you don't know this yet, but I'm actually going to include one of my favorite recipes. Oh, my God. I with love With the this. how-to in this episode. And I'm encouraging everyone to actually recreate this at home and tag you online because it's one of my favorite recipes. But I just want to say thank you for time and being here and being on the podcast. Oh, my
1: gosh. No, thank you for having me. You're so sweet. You have such great energy. Even I know we're doing this through the internet, but you have such a beautiful soul.
0: Oh, thank you. Oh, that means a
1: lot. I love it. So the Holy Spirit it. is thriving inside <laughs> you right now. What is oh, it survives, girl. Yes. I know. I'm in need of that. I'm just like all frazzled.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, here, this is what my heart and hope behind this podcast is that it is as easy as making one of your favorite meals that you don't need a recipe for, and it just comes from your heart. Oh. Or as you say in your book, this is the sason. This is yeah. your saison. Yeah. So if this is just— Oh my
1: gosh, you read the book. All right. Yeah. right. it's
0: on my desk. Okay, so here—, here it, This is in the introduction, but I also need to share it with you just like as a small caveat. There's this beautiful Korean woman that comes to our church. She's amazing. She's beautiful. I love her to bits and pieces. And she came up to me. She said, Pastor Bianca, I read— this cookbook. And I just, I know I couldn't keep it. This has to be yours because it reminds you so much of your story and you love to cook so much. I just think you need to read it. This was a month ago and I was, or gosh, now at this point, two months ago. So I said, okay, okay, sure, 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 sure. Well, about a week later, it was sitting in my kitchen and I started reading it and I was like, Oh my goodness. Producer Madi, I, we need to get this girl on the show. Like this is, she's amazing. I loved it. Seriously, I'm not just kidding oh you. Like I resonated deeply with it. Thank and you. we are kicking off National Hispanic Heritage Month. And I want to highlight somebody who is really just representing her culture so beautifully. And you're so skilled. You're so layered. You're so talented. But one of the things that I think is like beautiful is that this isn't just a celebration of heritage and history. This is also a celebration of the American dream actualized. By you and your family, yeah. So we're gonna talk. Uh, we're gonna talk about you. We're gonna talk about what you do. But I just think so much, and it could be a cultural thing because it's we're just in our culture, in Hispanic culture, it, you're not really an individual. You roll as a tribe, and so I want to talk a little bit about your your family's journey. What did your family's journey? Oh, look at how precious. Okay, no, no one could see this, but your baby girl is there. Oh, there's nuzzles and hugs and kisses. Yes. <laughs> But the American dream, let's talk about the American dream for you and for your family. But how did the journey to America begin for your family? For those that haven't read the cookbook, what's your version uh, as you can just dive into the American dream, what it means for you guys?
1: Oh my goodness. You know, my father has always said this. My father always says, you know, it costs nothing to dream and it really doesn't. Like dreaming is free. And I think only few people are able uh, there to dream bigger than what is in front of them. I apologize for the child.
0: Hey, this is momming and chefing and being a professional all at the same time. I'm here for you. <laughs> uh, you're going to hear I was seen in the background.
1: Uh, and one day she'll hear this. So he always said that, right? And I think those words that he told me always resonated with me for some reason. My dad was born in Oaxaca. so So, were, so was I and my siblings and I. And my father grew up in a very small town called Matatlan. And to this day, he remembers the first time he saw an airplane. Because, I mean, we, I grew up in LA, right? I moved here when I was 10. I'm sure the majority of people listening to the podcast probably live in, you know, cities. And he had never seen an airplane before. Mm-hmm. But he remembers looking up and just like being a little bit taken back and didn't know what an airplane was. But said, you know, one day I'm going to get on the airplane and I'm going to move to another country, to somewhere else. And do you think how powerful that is? You know, well, he was yeah. very young, right? He was a child. And I think that is the power of allowing our kids to dream and not, you know, being dream crushers. Uh, you know, when their kids are young and as silly as their dreams sound, it anything is possible, right? I mean, if you think mm. about even just, 15 years ago, someone would say, I have a dream of turning on a camera and making millions of dollars, but like not being on TV. I'm going to make millions of dollars just talking about toys all day. Someone would be like, that's ridiculous. Like that's not a possibility, like child, right? And now you have so many YouTubers doing that and making (laughs) millions, right? So I'm diverging from the American dream. So I think the American dream is being in in, in a place where dreaming isn't looked down upon, right? My father always told people too, when he had kids, you know, um, the question of where are your kids going to go to school came up one day. He was living in Oaxaca with four kids. And my dad just blurted out, oh, my kids are going to go to school in the U.S. They're going to go to school in America. And people laughed at him, right? People said, that's ridiculous. Like, that's not going to happen. And he made his dream happen. And coming here to America, really, I think... What happens here is that you are encouraged to dream, and you see other people that look like you succeed, and you see the possibilities. You see a roadmap. You see you have people helping you, and I think when you surround around, when you surround yourself around people who champion you and who can encourage your dreams to even be bigger, I think really I think that is the American dream, right? Walking as a as a tribe. And I think what you said, you know, Latinos don't. You know we don't come as one we come as a pack okay you get one you know you got me you get all of you us you get us all you get us all yeah. and it's so funny because every time i go to a doctor or one of us finds a good doctor or a good dentist or a good chiropractor it's like damn we said like it's i don't even just get you your business it's like no i come at time six okay like i come so that's really how we are and you know my father migrated to la in 1995. first he came by himself He was a mezcal maker back in Oaxaca, but things were not really... I think now everyone knows what mezcal is. Back then, no one cared about mezcal. Mezcal was just reserved for the poor. That's it. So it wasn't as cool as it is today. So he didn't really see a future and he really lost a lot of... He lost all the... But he was really down to, you know, a few hundred pesos and moved to LA and started selling food door to door and trying to figure out what he was going to do and you know, create a living for his family who was living back in Oaxaca. Then my father, not knowing the language, not having any education, figured out how to open a very, very tiny restaurant. It had five tables, but by God's grace, he figured it out. And a few months later, moved his family to LA. And we, we were been working as a family ever since. We've always Mm -hmm. worked in the family business. Even when my dad was living in Oaxaca and was making mezcal, we all worked as a family. And and I never really thought about doing anything else than working as a family business, which is weird. I never really had ideas of working in other jobs. I've always had this Sort of image of me being an executive of some, you know, Fortune 500 company for some reason. I don't know if maybe God will have that in the cards for me in the future. Listen, who I was about to say, girl,
0: we prophesy because we're going to talk about what some business adventures that you have going on yeah, right now. Always, so who knows, it's so girl? Funny.
1: I've always, <laughs> I've always like pictured myself as an, as an executive in Pepsi. I've said this many times for some reason. I have no idea why that is, I think I I must have been in college up somewhere. I must have read some sort of case study. I don't know what, but aside from having that weird dream, I've always just had, you know, the corporate world was never really for me and we just worked in family business. And that's what I do right now. And, you know, again, the American dream is just being able to be in a place where dreams are encouraged when you see dreams being a possibility and you get to have a roadmap and you get to meet people that encourage that. And that's not happening in in a lot of places
0: seriously. So this is the beauty about your story is um, I want to kind of like uh, go back to so your dad, your dad went from door to door like selling food. And I need listeners to understand. So when we talk about Mexican food, people have in their concept in their mind like taco, burrito, maybe, maybe they know enchilada. But, we, when we think about, like, let's just even take the United States, the food in Alabama is so different from the food in Minnesota. And it's the same thing for Mexico. So you have a very regional type of Mexican food. 100%. Um, and then your dad starts this five-top restaurant in L.A. And in 1995, hold on, hold on, every foodie out there is going to get this. But for the listeners, they're going to be like, who cares? Who's Jonathan Gold? But I read this in the book, and I was like, Jonathan Gold, L.A. food writer goes to your dad's Oaxacan Mexican restaurant. And then what happens then?
1: I know. Every foodie is going to know what that means. But I think 98% of the country is like, what? So Jonathan Gold is this prolific food writer who really not only just wrote about food beautifully, but really impacted culture in Mm -hmm. L.A. He had this tendency and to go into small hole-in-the-wall places owned by immigrants and finding those who are cooking from their soul and cooking food that they would eat back home and he walked into a restaurant and really changed the course of my life's history and the restaurant's history because he put it in the cover of the la times and the next and this is back this is before people got on their there was maybe people who didn't have phones okay so there's no social media this is where you got your news—the paper. I don't even know who has the paper. Imagine if, like, all your social media was in a piece of paper, and you had to go get it every morning. That's the newspaper, okay? So we were in for what—what what today would be for your page, page, right? Or yes. in the or in the front <laughs> section of your Instagram algorithm, that was yes. us, okay? In the front cover of the newspaper, and we were just swamped we had no idea where these people came from and we didn't know how to speak English. So we didn't even know, we didn't even read the times. We didn't have four year page. We didn't, we didn't, we did not subscribe. So we had no idea where the people came from, but they came. And then after that, then we caught, then it caught wind of other reporters, Spanish speaking reporters. And we were in front of, then we were in La Opinion and that's when you made it, right? Cause La Opinion was. That's when you made it. Now for anyone that yeah. doesn't know, this is the Hispanic version of like, the New York Times. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> correct. So then we were La Opinion and, you know, Mama, I made it. And then we were in Univision and Telemundo, right? And that's really how the business started to grow. And, and then my dad just became a serial business owner, just really opening up different businesses. Then fast forward 20 years later or you know, 15 years later, lost everything, had to start from scratch all over again. Uh, my sister, my brother and I bought, the business for my for my dad. My dad retired and moved to Oaxaca. And girl, I want to tell you that we bought this business. We bought a business that was a week away from declaring bankruptcy. And we had to bring it up from the ashes. And we've been working really hard ever since. And you know, my siblings and I really, our mission has always been to champion our culture, to, to introduce Oaxaca to every single person we meet. And the meaning of that has evolved throughout the years but the mission's still the same yeah right to have little girls be proud of their culture and you know today is so different than when I grew up right like today it is amazing to show off your culture today you are encouraged to be who you are today you are encouraged to not want to be like anyone else today you're Your individuality is championed today. Your individuality is what makes you you, and that's fed to you every single day. But you know, that was a very different story for little brown girls growing up in the 90s when you would turn the TV on and the only chef cooking your food was white. You know, it's really, it was really different. So today, uh, I have the privilege of leaving a roadmap for other girls who look like me, who want to do the same things my family is doing to write books about their culture, to write books about the food that their family ate as children and to continue being the best, you know, Latina they could, Latina self they could be or Latino or whatever you want to call yourself these days. (laughs) So you had mentioned that back
0: in Oaxaca, your dad was familiar with mezcal and, you know, dealing with mezcal. Now, When he came to the States, and up until recently, most people didn't understand what that was. Now, it is a distilled liquor. For those that don't know, it's a distilled liquor, but it's a particular type of distilled liquor. So when when we talk about mezcal back in the day, think of it as like maybe here in like American culture, we would understand it as like moonshine. Like this is not the type of like high-end gray goose or some type of other liquor. But yet now your part that you played in popularizing mezcal— Because so much of what you guys have done has brought it to the forefront. And there's a whole other thing. We're going to get into that in a second. But like how you're pioneering and making waves within Mexican cooking that is just so foreign and crazy. But talk to me about making something that was – like you had mentioned, back in the day, it wasn't cool to talk about your culture. It wasn't cool to not to not be not white. And now there is a sense of, like, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of uh, the culture that I live in, whether that's American culture, while still maintaining my uh, secondary or subculture where I'm originally from. So you're part of popularizing Mezcal. Talk to me. What was your role in this?
1: My father, I think, was probably one of the first people to ever serve Mezcal in the restaurant, period. Right? Wait, are you— ta- wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about— like in California, or are you talking about pretty much? I mean, I want to say. Well, number one, I don't think people were drinking mezcal other than in California. Think about in the ni- like ninety four. <laughs> the only there was no mezcal in outside of California. I mean, there was no <laughs> there was no mole outside of California for a very long time. So true. I don't think true. mezcal was there either. So I think he was very one of the very first people. I'm not going to say he was the first because I don't know history and I'm going to get called out some years listen, from now, right? Listen, the, on this podcast, we're just going to say he was the yeah, first. Yeah, he was the he first. Pioneered. He pioneered. Yes, yes. But I mean, <laughs> I think he did, right? He didn't have a liquor license, so he would definitely serve it, you know, under the table. People would knew that that's where you would go get mezcal and that was it. Then in 2000, he opened the second location, which is where we are now on Olympic, that did have a liquor license. So when we started it and then when I took it over with my brother, I had this idea of just having a bar dedicated to just serving mezcal. And I was on a mission, but back then there was only three or four brands that were around. There wasn't hundreds. I think now there are thousands of brands, right? There was only four. So I, for the first few years, I would Bring mezcal from Oaxaca, right, unlabeled or anything. I would have bottles in my – I would go to the store. I went to this wholesale place. I found on, bottles. I would buy, like, 24 bottles at a time, 34 bottles all the time. I would fill them up with this mezcal, and I would put a label on them that would say, like, just, like, you know – Dear whatever, I hope you love this drink. If you want to have more, come to get you know get, like, it was Wait like the a minute. OG. Wait a minute. It was like you're bootlegging. <laughs> yeah, but but I wasn't trying to promote a brand. I mean, yeah. this is really again the only way that I could compare it to. Like now, you know those influencer boxes people get. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, this yeah, was yeah, like yeah. the OG influencer box. So you would get oh, right, awesome, mezcal in, like in the mail, and I would just mail it to I guess back then what would you call influencers in the category yeah. because I would send it to. That one that wouldn't exist. So I would just send it to bartenders, restaurant owners, and the food. Okay. You know, the food world in LA was super close knit. So I met a lot of friends, a lot of chefs, a lot of bartenders, and they would just love it. And they would come to my restaurant. I mean, I never really sought out to start a brand and I don't own a Mescal brand to this day, neither nor am I involved in any brands. But I just love the idea of people falling in love with Mescal because I knew that eventually would translate into people not only coming to the restaurant, but visiting Oaxaca and learning more about the culture. And and just, I think it's some sort of sick way I was seeking, you know, to be validated, right? And be like, I'm um, also cool, guys. Like, you know, <laughs> I'm from Oaxaca. I promise you, I'm cool. Let me show you. Uh, so maybe it was, you know, selfish in a lot of ways. But I think the biggest, you know, the, the bigger picture was really to, Showcase my culture and for have people to come and and experience and, and and really when you go to Oaxaca, I think that's what all of us want. When you go to Oaxaca yeah. or anyone that's visited Oaxaca, can really relate to the fact that people in Oaxaca just want to feed you, like we just want to mm-hmm. show you what the best food in the world is. That's just that's just how we do. We're like have this frijoles. I promise you, they're from Oaxaca. They're gonna be the best frijoles you've ever had. Like that's <laughs> really the Oaxacan vibe.
0: Okay, so talk to me about growing up around food in your grandmother's kitchen. The impact that it had on your life on how you view food and how you actually prepare food.
1: Well, the memory that I have of my grandma, she always had two long black braids wrapped in a black liston. Liston is um, ribbon, ribbon, black ribbon in her hair. And she had long, thick black hair. Even she never had, I don't remember my grandma ever having... White hair, and her hair always smelled like smoked chiles. She it always smelled like smoke, and she had a tiny little kitchen. And she would feed us, and that's really how she showed her love. My grandma, we didn't grow up in an atmosphere where you know showing love physically was a thing. You know, my grandma had a very harsh life. My mom, so too. You know, it was the only way you show people that you love them was by cooking. And uh, you never really spoke about feelings. You never really hugged, you know. I think now having a family growing up in you know, this new era, hugging my family and I always tell people, if you come out, come around my siblings, if we make fun of you, that's that's when you know we like you. Thank like, you. Like, I tried explaining this to my husband. It's a Hispanic thing. We make yeah. fun of you if we love you. Yeah, <laughs> like you should be weary if we don't make fun of you. Like if we don't make fun of you... That you're probably not part of the family, right? True. Yeah, true. yeah. So I know that goes along with not being able to share how you feel. You know what yeah. I mean? Like having yeah. hard times telling people, like, I love you. Come hug me. Come kiss me. So the only memory I have of my grandma just showing love to me was cooking. Mm. And also the idea of having plenty without having nothing. My grandma's kitchen was, mm. you know, she ain't got no Vitamix. She ain't have no air fryer. You know what I mean? She didn't have a salad spinner. She just had what she had and she made magic. And I have to remind myself every single day because sometimes I too get caught up in what am I supposed to feed my kids? There's nothing here. And I'm like, wait a minute. There's definitely a lot here. Like get it together, girl. You have your six-range stove and your refrigerator. Like you're going to be okay, you know?
0: My dad, I grew up in a house where my dad used to say, don't say, we. he'd say, okay, you guys can make yourself something to eat. And we'd be like, oh, there's nothing to eat. And he would get so frustrated because he's from Mexico. And he would say, no, 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 no. Don't say that there's nothing if there's something. You may not know what to make, but if you have something, then you're going to learn how to make you're it. Right,
1: like right. we can't stand back and say, no, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No, and no, that's no. really every Oaxacan woman. Like to this day, I am just so in awe every time I go to Oaxaca. and they say, you know, friends and- friends parents and they cook me this incredible meal and I go back there and they only have acomal, and that's it wow. wow! and I'm just in awe and I so just question my my ability to cook in that moment
0: <laughs> okay so growing up I read that you wanted to be a journalist as a child I did um uh, and so being around the restaurant was different for you as a child versus as an adult. When did it switch? When did you say, I I, I want to participate in the family business?
1: Well, when my dad lost everything, right? I think I think it's just the idea, right, of growing up in this semi-privileged household. We, we always worked. So I think that I always, when people told me, oh, you were so privileged. I always fought it and I got so angry because I always said, yeah, you guys understand. Like, I worked. But that doesn't mean that I didn't grow up in a place where everything, like where I had a lot of things, right? I had a lot of luxuries. I had new shoes constantly. I had an, a nice car. I drove a nice car that my dad bought me. My dad paid for my college. I didn't have to be in debt because of my education. I had new clothes often, right? I had these things that I put a lot of uh, value in at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you actually have those things, yes, I worked, but then all of a sudden everything was taken from me. Everything mm-hmm. that I had put value on got taken away. My car got reprocessed. Yeah. Our house got taken. I, we didn't really, you know, we had to figure it out. I had to, I went from driving a really nice car, a very, very nice car to taking the bus every day, like in a second, oh. right? Like it was real. And I think at the time, then I said to myself, "Wait, what do you actually want? What is it that, what is your, what is your family's legacy that you want to continue?" And I think that's really when the switch, and I realized that my actual calling and my passion was to continue on the legacy that my father started.
0: So. When we talk about you and your siblings took over the business and there's the shift, you are making Mexican food that is at the helm cutting edge, dare I say, bringing in things like mezcal, bringing in very like artisanal qualities to Los Angeles. So I also read that, again, to any non-foodie out there, this is going to mean nothing, but your family received a James Beard Award. Now, for those that are not foodies or don't watch Top Chef or um, or any of these like shows online, this is a very very, very, very prestigious award. So was that awarded to you and your siblings or is that awarded to like what your dad created and then you guys get to walk in that?
1: The beer was giving to the family and to the restaurant, right? So in the actual plaque, it reads, "Gala a restaurant, Lopez family. you know, it was a time when my siblings and I had already taken over the restaurant, you know, and my parents didn't even live in LA at the time. Wow. We flew them back in, and we said, "You have to go." My dad had no idea what the James Beard Award was. I mean, like, <laughs> a lot. again, I live in a very small bubble that has to do everything with, with food, but I also walk out of the bubble often, and I'm and I'm put very and, I, and I'm put straight very quick when <laughs> I walk into my non-food world, and no one even knows nor cares that I have a James <laughs> Beard Award. So he didn't know, and I we tried to explain to him, and I was like, "It's like if you had an Oscar." But like you're for food for food. Yes. Like there's yes. nothing there's that's it. That is it doesn't get bigger <laughs> than that. Okay. Like if you were an actor, you win an Oscar, you were in food, you win a James Beer. That's the same. There's nothing better than that.
0: And your family received that award for the work that you guys have done, the food that you guys have prepared. And this is not just this. The beautiful thing that I love about your story is that what started as your dad's American dream has morphed into a beautiful dream for you. And so I take a look at what you're doing and the opportunities that you have. Just recently, I follow along, and I don't have all the details because this is just from social media, but like you and your family, I believe created a mixer that's now sold at Costco. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, you guys have a michelada mixer. Like, are you—you're a daughter of an immigrant. Like, girl, you came here to the, to the United States, not even a natural—like, like not even an American. And yet, you are creating a whole new set of dreams for you and your children. So when you take a look at your life now, what is your American dream now?
1: Uh, I think it's the same as my dad's, right? And mm. I think it's just—it's the same. It's really seeing— that and believing and knowing and walking into the power of if you can dream it, you know, you, you can achieve it. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know you, you are a woman of faith. My family, whole family is, I mean, I you know Jesus completely changed our life, which is really the only thing that could have gone us through really the hardships that we went through. But did you guys encounter like a faith in Mexico or? Was no, it, it was definitely here. It was definitely oh, here. And it was really through okay. the whole, through the whole you know, journey of us losing everything. But there was really nothing else to believe in than God at the moment, right? And they really lean into the faith. And really my mom, it was my mom that, you know, a friend brought her into church. And then obviously- In LA? In LA. Wow. And then she just was so adamant, always wanted us to go to church. And (laughs) all of (laughs) us were like, mom, they're taking your money. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I mean, you walk into this church and then she finally got my dad. And then my dad started going and I'm like, wait, you got my dad to go and wait, my dad's (laughs) believing in this, in this, in this whole, you know, in this lie. I'm like, okay, (laughs) now i got to see this for myself. And then I walk into church, you know, and you have the people crying and praying for people who are sick and then they come around and ask for money. I'm like, mom, come on now. (laughs) Come on, mom. They're taking your money, girl. Like, why are you here? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, okay. So I I don't want to derail. I don't want to take away from the story, but so much of this is, like, part of your story. Yeah. So at what point did did it become, like, incredibly real for you, incredibly real for your family? And this wasn't just something that, like, your mom did, but that your mom's decision impacted the family. And eventually, the decision on what was going to happen to your family. I mean, you guys took over the restaurant and—
1: Yeah. Well, you know, obviously, you know, one time I went to, my dad just said, just make sure you go to church. Just give me a month, four Sundays, and you'll see what I see. I'm like, fine. So I would get there, like, all hungover, right? Like, I'm like, okay, I'm here at church. (laughs) Tell me what I need to believe. And then one day I just felt it, girl. Like, I believed it. And I was like, oh my God, this is real. Like, I really... I'm sorry. Can you hear my my child's crying downstairs? It's okay. okay. No, th- this my, is this is I real promise, life. I promise you guys. My husband is down there. I am not making my child <laughs> cry. My husband is downstairs. He's just trying to figure it's things great. out. It's great. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I really felt it. Like I really, really felt the presence, and I understood that there was a bigger purpose for my family and I. And I think really that started a whole new journey for me and my family. Now my sister, which is really big into faith, so am I. I think that I've Mm. definitely, I mean, in like every journey, right? Like you derail and you realize how important it is. And then God brings people like, you know, like yourself into our lives. to Just remind us of how important it is to have that presence all the time. But Mm. I think that my dream and I I, I went, I want to circle back. And the reason I brought that up is because I really believe that when God puts a dream in your heart is because he trusts that you are going to fulfill it. And when God puts Mm. that in your heart, it, it really, he doesn't just do that. You know, he has. He makes no mistakes. Like he, he. If you're dreaming it, and if you feel it, and if God put it there, it's so you can continue in the path and 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 fulfill the purpose that He has set for for you. And I really believe that. And I think for me, it really is about championing my culture. You know, continuing building my family's business, and I think I always had this chip on my shoulder that you know, it's my parents' restaurant, right? I mean, yes, my siblings and I bought it from my family. Yes, you know, we have transformed the restaurant into what it is now. But I think somewhere inside of me and my siblings has always been like, mm, right, but your parents started it, right? It's always that. It's always like, mm-hmm. right, but like you're like, you know, these are people who started from, you know, you you had a baseline. And I'm like, my baseline was a week away from bankruptcy, but sure, yep but sure. (laughs) Um, right. So then we always thought about building something new and the micheladas was, micheladas Or something that we've always, just like mezcal, right. Was something that we always sold. And really, I, I want to say we popularized micheladas in LA and became really a culture. One day a guy came in and wanted to buy just our mix. I didn't really understand how or what I didn't understand what he was trying to ask me, but he said, no, I just want to buy your mix and I said, okay, we went to the bar. We grabbed some empty tequila bottles, filled them up, closed them up. And he said, how much do I owe you? And I said something like $15, something crazy. I didn't, you know, now it retails for like $6.99 or something. So, you know, $15. And he paid me. And I just felt like that was the first time in my life that I actually just created something like that and sold it, you know? Mm, and then yeah. I just got that feeling. And and my brother and I are very creative and we just said, why don't we just, like, create this? And this is, I mean, I think Micheladas are finally kind of le- reaching that. I mean, it was, it's was been an uphill battle, really, to get this brand out there, for people to try it. And and now the LA Times just took out an article on Micheladas. So, so I think, like, not on our brand, but just in general. And I think that now we're kind of getting to this point where people are f- getting familiarized with it. I think we're kind of in the right moment, which is what happened with Costco.
0: This is so beautiful, so incredibly beautiful. We started with having this dream of being a, you know, working in corporate America and doing something crazy. And in your own version of corporate America, you are impacting culture. You're feeding souls. You are creating hope for people who are a week away from bankruptcy. (laughs) And and literally reminding people that like, if it's a dream that God's given you, there's no one else that can fulfill it. Yeah. It is an honor to talk to you. you. It is an honor to see just how God has blessed your family, but also to see the totally and complete hard work that your family's put into the businesses. I can't wait to go to the restaurant. Before we go, can you give me like your favorite simple go-to recipe? That people can recreate on their
1: own. You know what? I love making the pollo en chipotlado, which is chicken in this chipotle sauce. And the reason I I like that one over while well, my mom made that so many times, my mouth watering. Just rice, a little crema to you know to cut through the spice, but it's super simple. But it, to me, it reminds me of home because something that my mom would make often. You won't find it in in a restaurant menu really anywhere. It's just something that that moms create at home. Very similar to what a tinga would be, but this is actually a meal. So you could do it as a whole chicken.
0: I'm putting the recipe in the show notes. I'm excited for people to try it. Absolutely delicious. And it's gonna be your, the recipe that's in the cookbook is gonna be the recipe that's in the show notes. I can't wait for people to try it. Thank you for your time. Today we celebrate you. We celebrate your family. You're doing all the things. Chef, mom, entrepreneur. We celebrate you and send many blessings your way. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it and getting to sit down with Prisia. As promised, I'm gonna share with you one of my favorite recipes from her cookbook. Now, here's the thing, if you know me, you know I throw down in the kitchen and there is not a salsa I do not love. In fact, every time that Matt, Oltoff and I get into an argument, I know, I know, if I just make him salsa quemada, he loves me again. So that's a little marriage secret. Save yourself on therapy and just learn to make a good salsa. So I'm partial to my salsa, but then I got this recipe from Riccia and I'm sharing it with you. It's called salsa borracha. And if you don't know what that means, eh, there's a little bit of alcohol in it. But don't worry. It's just for the flavor. I mean, this salsa is perfect. It's like smoky and it hits the spot when it's spooned over some juicy grilled meats or even over a quesadilla. If you're not familiar with a quesadilla, think of it like a tortilla with melted cheese. Voila dinner of the gods, friends. Okay, we'll put the ingredients in the show notes, but I'm going to include it here for those that are listening. You'll need a pound of green tomatoes. Those are called tomatillos. And six morita chilies. Now, don't worry. Don't freak out. You can use a can of chipotle chilies and be just fine. I promise. It's going to give it that smoky flavor. It's going to be very herbaceous. You're also going to need two cloves of garlic, two tablespoons of cider vinegar, two tablespoons of mezcal. Sorry, mom. Two bay leaves. And of course, some sea salt. You're gonna to wanna to preheat your oven and get your broiler to its hottest setting. Then you're gonna unhusk all the tomatillos. You're gonna, to, I like to wash them. Don't worry, it's gonna feel sticky. That's totally natural. Um, you're gonna place them on a cooking sheet and then you're gonna put them in your broiler for 20 minutes. At around the 10 minute mark, you're gonna to wanna to pull it out, move everything around, make sure that you're not roasting all just one side. And after the 20 minute mark, pull them out of the oven and set them aside. Meanwhile, you can have like a cast iron. I like to use a komal, which is basically like an iron hot plate. And then I begin to roast my chilies. Don't worry, you're gonna want them to get black and roasted. It's gonna give it such a great flavor. Then you're gonna toss the garlic in for about five minutes. So total, the chili should be on there for about 10 to 15 minutes. Make sure that they're blackened. And then about halfway through, go ahead and toss the garlic in. Boil about a cup of water and then pour the boiling water into a bowl. Add the roasted chilies and let them sit for about 20 minutes until they're soft and tender. Then you're gonna wanna drain and set them aside. Then voila, bring out the blender, combine everything together, season it with salt, and this salsa will last in your refrigerator for up to a week. I guarantee you, friends. Make this and your friends will come over. I love you, I'm so grateful that I get to celebrate my heritage, my family, some of my recipes with some of the people that I love the most, and that's you. Thanks for being part of this podcast. If this episode has been of interest to you or you wanna share it with somebody, hey, go ahead and do that. If you are the subscribing type, go ahead and subscribe on Access More or wherever you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, will you leave a positive review? Share this with your friends. We can't wait to connect next week. Coming up on the season, we have some amazing guests. Everyone from Chad Veach, Lisa Turkers, and more. I can't wait to share what we're gonna cook up.